We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome, Bears fans, to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal. We are recording this episode on April 4th here on a Tuesday. I should say this here, Yusei, we are in April now. So, I mean, this offseason has gone by really fast. We are officially in draft month, basically. Um, only a few weeks away from the start of the 2023 NFL draft. It's, it's really exciting to kind of count the days down here, but it seems like, you know, th- this thing is really starting to wind down here. But uh, before we get into our topics of today's episode today, you said, how are you doing today, man? Yeah, I mean, I'm doing completely well. Uh, you're right. It's crazy because it seems like just yesterday we were on this podcast talking about signing Tremaine Edmonds as well as TJ Edwards you look up and time's flown by so really if you're a Bears fan the NFL draft is without a doubt despite having like 70 something million in cap space after the DJ Moore trade the NFL draft's the signature event of the offseason and it's gonna be that way as long as Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus are around because if we look at this team's free agency signings I mean, it really indicates that they're going to build this thing, especially at the important positions through the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to you know, sugarcoat it. I mean, the Bears had a little bit, I think, of a quieter free agency period than I think we a lot of us thought they would. You know, they're sitting on, I think, still at $35 million in cap space. So, I mean, they're, they're clearly waiting things out until the NFL draft. And, you know, if there's any needs after the draft, and I think they're going to address things then. But right now they're kind of just leaving things open. I mean, I, I'm not sure if that's a strategy that I would go with. Personally, I would have tried to fill more needs going into the draft. That way I'm not pitching my pigeonholing myself into picks and, you know, missing out on players in free agency that might be able to come in and contribute. But, you know, that's, that's the way that Ryan Pulse is building this thing so far. He's keeping with that patient approach that like we talked about. And I mean, and it sounds like based off of what we heard from Ryan Poles that they are full, 
full train going is, is towards the draft. So their, their entire focus right now is not on free agency. It's not on bringing guys in. It's about, you know, scouting these players, getting to know these players and, and meeting with some of these players and bring them in. So I, I guess that's one thing we can talk about real quick. So uh, before we start, what we, our position breakdowns for wide receiver tight ends today, which is going to be our focus for today's episode. Let's talk about some of the you know players that they brought in and specifically Jalen Carter, the bears, you know, bringing him in on a top 30 visit. So for those who don't know a uh, top 30 visit, basically NFL teams can bring in up to 30 prospects in the NFL draft uh, to visit with the team at their facility and you know, get an extended time to kind of, have them for an entire day basically to talk to them. And um, I don't know if they worked them out or whatever, but certainly a bunch of time to kind of sit them down, um, spend time with them throughout a day and kind of get to know them a little bit better in their own building, so to speak. Um, and the bears are doing that with Jalen Carter here. And as, as we've talked about plenty of times, Jalen Carter, he's been in the news cycle quite a bit um, over this off season for stuff that do not pertain to, you know, who he actually is as a prospect on the field. It's all these off the field concerns, whether, you know, it's, you know, the incident where, you know, the, the, the street racing incident that he got himself involved in or showing up to his pro day out of shape and not looking great there. Um, you know, all the talk about the off field concerns in terms of character concerns. Like it, it's been a pretty disastrous, um, you know, pre-draft process for for Carter throughout this offseason period but you know you look at a, t- a player as talented as Carter the Bears bringing him in here you know what does that to you to you you say what do you think that tells you about the way the Bears are approaching this and the way that they're you know kind of trying to you know figure things out here throughout this this process as to where they're at with Carter and and how they think they'll handle him on their board so to speak what's I mean, if I'm going to be honest, anytime you're picking in the top 10, it's kind of like, hey, we need to do our due diligence on every single highly graded prospect. And I'm not saying the Bears have Jalen Carter highly graded, but if you take all the off-field stuff out of it, there's no doubt in my mind that the debates around Jalen Carter, again, if we take the off-field stuff out of it, even with the Bears picking at nine, would still be, hey, if he's there, do you take him? Like, because he's that good of a player. And again, there's a lot of ways to look at this, right? Like, you could sit here and you could say, okay, well, Jalen has the off-field issues. You could also sit there and say, forget the off-field issues. We know Ryan Poles has kind of alluded to the fact that, hey, if we're going to bring a player in with off-field issues, Kevin Warren as well as George McCaskey are going to need to sign off on it. I really just think what it is is his team doing its due diligence, and it should literally be nothing more than that because if we're going to sit here and say that Jalen Carter to Chicago's picking up some serious steam, it would be kind of stupid for the Bears to zero in on one prospect alone just because when you look at the trade for DJ Moore as well as with the Carolina Panthers, I mean, the Bears traded back from one to nine, not just to grab more picks. No, Ryan Poles pulled the trigger because he always knew that the way the board was going to fall, they were still going to be able to get a day one starter. And I know it's incredibly generic to sit here and say, yeah, well, if you're picking in the top 10, you should always have a guy that's a day one starter. That's absolutely true. And I agree with it, but also there's a certain positional value that comes with it. So if Carter's there ninth overall and the bears feel comfortable, I would not go ahead and be 
shocked to see the Bears pull the trigger. It would just be something incredibly different from what fans are used to when it comes to this franchise, especially knowing the last two regimes never really picked players that had off-field issues. Yeah, and to me that that stands from up top above the GMs for the Bears. That that stands from ownership, in my opinion, from uh, George McCaskey, you know, wanting to keep this – you know, this operation as having as many good character guys in the building as possible. And I mean, look, when you're talking about players, you know, bringing in talented players from football team, there are going to be some, some, you know, some shady characters sometimes that you have to bring in and kind of had that risk reward of, you know, if we're building this thing out, we want to win championships. Yeah. This guy might be a little bit of a risk off the field, but we may want to bring him in and see if we can you know take that risk because the reward could be so great, this talent. And again, I'm not, you know, unfortunately, I'm not able to have that ability to be able to meet with these prospects where I can, you know, sit down with the Jalen Carter and be able to talk to him as a person, get to know him a little bit, which the Bears are able to do. So it's easy for me to say, you know, whatever direction um, of either, you know, well, I'm not going to take a chance on this guy because of off-field concerns, or I can say and just look at the tape and say, well, I don't really care about the off-field concerns because this tape is so damn good. He's such a damn good football player that I really don't care. Let's bring him in here if he's available. Um, so, again, without that information, it's it's really tough to get a gauge on, you know, what I would do in that situation. But if we're just looking at, you know, Jim Carter as a player, like, absolutely, if he's there at nine, you have to take him at that point because he's the best player on the board. If he's, you know, in a vacuum, if he's there at nine, you know, that is a tremendous value because I think if we're just judging this on who he is as a player, he's the best player in this draft um, when you take positional value out of it uh, or at least take the quarterbacks out of it. Um, but, yeah, it's just a tough conversation when you get to, you know, the off-field concerns and whether, you know, you can take that risk or not. And especially with the Bears and their track record on these things, it lends me to believe that they're not really going to take, you know, that risk unless they really get a good feel for John Carter in these visits that they've had with them, especially with the top three visit, um, bringing him in there. So if they get a really good, you know, feel on Carter and they feel like, you know, it, it's not as big of a risk. It certainly wouldn't surprise me if you know, the bears do end up picking him at nine. And we got this information from his, his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, um, who drew Rosenhaus. He's one of the best, you know, NFL agents in the business there. Um, he's represented a lot, you know, most of the big name, co- uh, stars in the NFL um, as, you know, kind of his agent there. And Rosenhaus kind of said that like, you know, Carter, he's not meeting with any other teams outside the top 10 because he doesn't expect him to go outside the top 10. And what that kind of tells me is that, you know, Carter's representation has probably already gotten assurances from the Philadelphia Eagles at 10, that if Carter somehow slips all the way to 10, he's not getting past them at 10. So that kind of leads me to believe that, okay, that's kind of where they see, you know, the range here that's probably the lowest they see him going here the bears are right at that range at nine overall you know again what's the possibility that he's even there for the bears um to be able to make that selection there because we know with nfl teams they're you know they're willing to overlook a lot for some of these prospects if they're that good and jalen carter he certainly is that good of a prospect so again we'll see how this all plays out you know the legal aspect of it is kind of already played out and settled for Jalen Carter. So you don't have to worry about that aspect of things moving forward. It's whether, you know, can you trust the individual? Can you trust his decision-making off the field? And can you trust that when you put him in a professional environment, is he going to be solely focused on maximizing himself as a professional football player at the next level to really, you know, again, 
increase that or really maximize that return on investment of drafting him so high in the draft. That's kind of the things that the teams are kind of going to be weighing here. And certainly the bears are, and you know that they are with bringing him in for a visit. Um, but moving on from the Jalen Carter discussion, I think we've talked about Jalen Carter so much on stuff that doesn't even relate to football here, but let's get into stuff that actually relates to football here and continue on with our prospect previews for the upcoming 2020. 2023 NFL draft, and I should say positional previews for the upcoming 2023 NFL draft, looking at wide receivers and tight ends today. And so what we're going to be doing is what we've done for every positional group so far, uh, looking at our top five at each position, our sleepers at each positions, and then a player that we, you know, are not as high on compared to the consensus, kind of an overhyped prospect here. So let's get into the wide receiver class here, you say, and in the wide receiver class, in my opinion, you say, when I look at this thing, you know, it is not really a strong class in my opinion it seems like there, you know there's a group of about four to five guys in this class at the top of this class that you kind of like um and you're comfortable spending a high pick on but after that it seems like there's a big drop off with a lot of these guys and then after that you're kind of just throwing dots darts at guys that maybe they can work out but it, it does not seem like it's as strong as a class um has previous years. So when you say, when you look at this class as a whole, before we get into kind of the specific players here, you know, what's your kind of feel with this class so far? Do you like it? Do you not like it as much as previous years? Like what's your kind of vibe with this based off of what you've been evaluating out of these guys? Yeah. I said this when we had Jacob Infante on the show a couple of weeks ago, and I will stick true to my statement. It's a class that doesn't necessarily have that alpha number one wide receiver. You're going to see a lot of guys this year just kind of get pushed up the boards because of the way that the NFL is trending with young quarterbacks, as well as just such a need for stacked wide receiver rooms. And again, in the context of the bears, I mean, don't be surprised if the bears end up being one of those teams that decide, Hey, we're going to double down and take a receiver. Even though the last basically eight months have seen this team trade for chase Claypool, as well as trade for DJ Moore. And just getting into my rankings overall, I mean, number one, is I think everyone's consensus number one guy. It's Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State. You look at him and he screams playmaker basically all over the field. I think Jackson's 2022 season was a down year for him by his standards as well as just the standards of the general media simply because he was in and out of the lineup. He had, I think, the nagging hamstring injury, which really limited his play. But when he was on the field, I mean, we saw what he was able to do. I think that he's a great route runner, you know, excellent separator too. And then he can make kind of adjustments when it comes to running routes. Also, when he gets into space, like he's a dynamic football player. Now, what concerns me about JSN is the simple fact that, you know, being about six feet tall, 198 pounds, I think he's not necessarily the smallest receiver because there's certainly been smaller receivers than him that have come out and not found tons of success. But I think the injury history and lack of production from last year, certainly kind of a concern for teams, but I would still expect him to be the number one guy off the board. You get number two, and this is a guy who I think a lot of people go back and forth on because Zay Flowers from Boston College being about 5'10", 175 pounds you know he's a guy who again averaged about 14 yards of reception in 2022 an incredibly dynamic playmaker and really I think the thing is is that he just wins with you know speed every single time like Zay Flowers in a lot of ways reminds me of you know a guy like a DJ Moore coming out of 
Maryland a couple of years ago, just in the sense that the athleticism was there, wasn't necessarily the biggest, fastest, or strongest guy on the field, but was able to kind of consistently win with speed as well as separation. Now, my thing with Zay Flowers is this, is I think the ceiling there that he possesses is incredibly high, that when you do add about 10 pounds of muscle to his frame, What's when we will probably see his skill set come to fruition. And then number three, a guy, I mean, Quentin Johnson's one of the biggest guys in this class from TC, about six foot four, 215 pounds. I thought that Quentin had a pretty good combine. Now, he was a lot of times for the TCU offense, you know, would label him basically the X Factor team. Like for the Horned Frogs, there were days where he was the only legitimate playmaker that they had on the field. And then when you look at Quentin in general, just as a player like you've got a big frame a really good catch radius he's incredibly hard to go ahead and bring down and then the speed as well as just his ability to kind of turn on the jets and turn into a second gear i mean he's a phenomenal playmaker and Again, for me, when it comes to these top three guys like JSN, Zay Flowers, Quentin Johnston, I think they're all round one prospects. But I do think that teams are going to have all three of them graded out differently. And I would not be surprised to see a combination of any one of the three taken off the board first. You look at number four, Jalen Hyatt, a guy who, again, when Tennessee played Alabama this past season, like Jalen Hyatt burst onto the scene I think that was kind of the game that solidified him as a top five receiver in this class I mean he's a big play threat every time he gets the ball average about like 20 yards per reception so he's a player that you look at and you say okay definitely smaller I could see him fitting you know into the slot may not necessarily always be playing outside on the boundaries but when you get him in space like Jalen Hyatt is a dynamic dynamic playmaker you know i think you're seeing an excellent speed really good route runner as well and then just a player who you know overall has really good hands as well and again i think everyone's favorite jalen hyatt memory from this past season was when we had i think it was like five touchdowns on six receptions against alabama so what you're getting in jalen hyatt i think is a receiver who's going to be a very high volume guy who's going to be this dynamic playmaker he's not going to be you know your electric guy like a Tyreek Hill for example he can serve as sort of like a McCole Hardman in the sense that you know you can get him a pretty decent amount of volume and he'll make things happen and then number five overall I think a guy that you know once again a lot of people are really split on because he started off at Pittsburgh and then transition to USC and really with USC I thought is where he took off but when you look at Jordan Addison as a player I mean a lot of people had him labeled advisor wide receiver one for this class back in the fall but you know with Jordan Addison I mean I think the big thing is that he doesn't necessarily have that top end speed that you would want from a dynamic wide receiver prospect. And there's times where, you know, physicality as well as his drops, which was just so apparent at Pittsburgh was a major issue. But then again, with Jalen Carter, you know, I'm sorry, Jordan Addison, what it comes down to is the simple fact that he is still a good enough receiver where, you know, he can be productive simply because of his separation. He's one of those wide receivers where he'll make a name for himself in the short to intermediate passing game as a deep threat. I mean, 
because there's a lack of top end speed, I can see why he's not going to go ahead and be that dynamic in that aspect of the passing game, but certainly a guy who was consistent enough to warrant being a really good receiver in college. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I think the main takeaway I have from looking at the top of this wide receiver class is that it really depends on, you know, the flavor of wide receiver that you like and the flavor of wide receiver that you're looking for on your team. Um, because there are certainly some players that fill a lot of different skill sets. And that's, that's really the case for wide receiver in general every year. I will say in this year's class, it definitely there, there's definitely a lot more of those smaller, shiftier slot guys in this class, I think, as opposed to, you know, bigger outside X receiver or typical X wide receivers that you'll see. Um, it, it's definitely not a class. If you're looking for those outside guys, that is, is necessarily strong there. But um, you look at my top five here. I agree with you. Um, and I split this, this top five into three different tiers because there, I think there's a, there are kind of three tiers within the top five of guys, at least for me, um, where these guys kind of order out. And that, that first tier is just one guy, and that's JSN, Jackson Smith and Jigba, like you said. I've kind of gone back and forth on Jackson Smith and Jigba throughout my evaluation because, you know, I was hoping that he would have a big year this year as kind of, you know, stepping into being the top guy at Ohio State. It turns out Marvin Harrison was – Marvin Harrison Jr. was kind of that top guy all along with the way that he kind of broke out this year, like you said. in Jigba, he had a down 2022 season, but also like he – didn't play at all because he was dealing with the hamstring injury the entire time. So um, again, he had that hamstring uh, injury early on, led to some issues early in the season, the first few games, and then they shut him, he shut himself down um, early on in the year because he just wasn't right. He needed to get right with that hamstring. Um, but the things you like about him is that, you know, he is just a fantastic route runner, understands, you know, how to play the game. And he had some ridiculous, you know, agility splits um, at the combine where you just see that this guy, yeah, he's not the fastest or most dynamic player in the world, but uh, he is not a bad athlete whatsoever. He can change direction with ease, you know, change on a dime. He knows how to sell his routes and that, and you can really see it out there. It's really tough for cornerbacks to stay with him because um, he just, very subtle and combine that with his quickness. Um, it just makes for a hard cover. And, you know, for him, I'm not sure if he's a guy who's going to project well to being an outside wide receiver because he was a, a pretty much a slot only receiver at Ohio state. But we're seeing in the NFL nowadays that just because you're limited to a slot role, doesn't necessarily mean that you're 
you know, not as valuable as a true X receiver on the outside. You look at the value that Cooper Cup has had for the Los Angeles Rams or even Amon Ross St. Brown with the, with the Lions. You know, a lot of these slot receivers can have a, you know, a tremendous impact on an offense and be really the engine of an of a offense or at least of a passing game and in the NFL because if you are consistently getting open in the middle of the field, um, if you're reliable, you know, have good hands, you can make tough ca- catches and get yards after the catch. Uh, there's a ton of value there. And, and that's where Jackson Smith and Jibba really wins, I think, as a receiver there. Um, and for me, he's really my only, you know, true first-round talent in his wide receiver class. I don't think it's a particularly strong class at the top. Like, for me, Jackson Smith and Jibba, he's a bona fide first-round talent. I'd be comfortable taking him, you know, maybe not as high as, like, a top five or anything. He's not on a, you know, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, um, I'm trying to think of guys in the past, but he, he's not at that level of a prospect, but he's kind of in that second tier. I think below those guys were around the top 10 to middle of the first round is where I think is kind of the sweet spot for him. I like him in that range right there. My number two is Quinton Johnson. It's here below Jackson Smith and Jimba um, with Quinton Johnson. I mean, he has all the physical tools that you want from a, a big outside wide receiver. I mean, he's six foot three, 210 pounds can jump out of the gym, you know, long wingspan. Um, and at 21 years old, you feel like he's really starting to, you know, maximize his potential there. You know, didn't run the fastest 40 yard dash. His agility splits, you know, aren't fantastic. Um, but you look at what he did this past year, TCU over three yards per route run, according to pro football focus, like that is high up there when you're looking at, um, the wide receivers in this draft class. Um, He's a guy who has kind of that typical, you know, X mold, but he doesn't really play like an X wide receiver, in my opinion. He's a guy who is very good after the catch. I think there's a very underrated ability about him is that you get the ball in his hands. He's got underrated ability to make guys miss. He's got underrated ability to um, break tackles, I think. And he's got pretty good, you know, when he gets the ball, he turns up field right away and he quickly accelerates to top speed to get, you know, those extra yards and, you know, get big chunks you know, once he gets the ball in his hands. So it's a very underrated part of this game. He's got deep threat ability, I think, because of that wingspan that he has. But the thing that does bother me about Johnson, why I think I kind of see him more as a late first round, you know, early second round type of guy, is because he's not really a, a true hands catcher. He lets the ball get into his chest very easily. He doesn't really seem like a guy who's natural at, you know, really extending and you know catching the ball at its highest point he'll show it in flashes but it's not consistent that was kind of reflected in his ability to bring in contested catches despite having this huge frame he only caught 34 percent of his contested catches last year so that's not very good you know for a guy who has you know that bigger that that big size profile wide receiver you want him to have you know a much better rate of being able to catch contested catches like that with that said, I think there's enough there to where I like him in the first round, you know, late later in the first round. And if you can work, you know, if you can get him with a quarterback who's not Max Duggan, um, who was just awful for TCU last year, I think he would be a much more productive in a situation because he he is underrated as a route runner, I think. I think he has, you know, the ability to pre to be, you know, a pretty good weapon in the NFL, but it's going to take some development with him. My number three guy, and then I should say before getting to my number three, these next three guys are here for three, four, and five. I think you could put him in any order. It really depends on what what, what type of wide receiver you're looking for. But they're all in that kind of same tier of late first round, you know, early second round. I'd be very comfortable taking them there. 
And the first one for me is Jordan Addison out of USC. You kind of mentioned it before, you know, drafts have been kind of a big issue for him. But if you're looking for a wide receiver, I think can just plug in and play right away. You know, Addison, he runs good routes. He knows how to get open. Um, pretty polished, you know, receiving skill set um, to enter the league right away. And even though he's an undersized guy, you know, at 5'11", 173 pounds, yeah, you kind of get scared off by that. I think he can play on the outside easily in the NFL. He kind of has that skill set. You know, for Jordan Addison, to me, he kind of reminds me of kind of like Calvin Ridley coming out of, you know, college when he was coming out, where, again, not the greatest athlete in the world. I, I shouldn't say Jordan Addison's a bad athlete, but, you know, he's not, he's definitely not a, you know, elite athlete or anything like that. He's an undersized guy, but the guy knows how to win win on the outside. He knows how to run routes. He knows how to get open. Um, and he just has an understanding of how to play the position. The thing that worries me about Addison though, is that that size does factor in. He's not a very physical player. He doesn't really handle, you know, press very well. If you get your hands on him against bigger cornerbacks, you are going to take him out of a route. So that's kind of worrisome for me as Addison. I kind of see his ceiling is capped off as a quality number two wide receiver. I don't think he's the number one guy. Whereas I feel like JSN and Quentin Johnston can be number one options in the NFL, you know, when they reach their ceilings, I'm not sure about that with Addison. Uh, My number four guy is Zay Flowers out of Boston college. Um, Just the thing with him is, yeah, he's a smaller guy, five foot nine, 180 pounds, but he's a dynamic athlete. Like you talked about, you said dynamic with the ball in his hands and also has that ability to be a deep threat as, as well. Um, and again, he's another player that kind of suffered from bad quarterback play in college, like the Boston college quarterback. I was, I was going back and watching these wide receivers earlier today, but man, it was brutal watching uh, Boston college's quarterback play because it, it's just, it makes it really hard to evaluate flowers and what he can be at the next level. But uh, yeah, I think he's a dynamic player. If you're looking for that, you know, explosive slot option. I think he's probably the best in this class. And then speaking of another slot option, my number five guy is Josh Downs out of North Carolina. Um, Again, kind of similar to what we talked about. Jordan Addison just understands how to run routes and get open. And what's really underrated about him is, yeah, he's an undersized guy, but interestingly enough, he's like the anti Quinton Johnson. You said, you know, despite the fact that he's only about looking at his weight here, Five foot nine, 170 pounds. He caught 72% of his contested catches last year, which is the highest in this draft class. So, for whatever reason, he understands how to make t- difficult, tough catches in traffic, whereas some of these guys maybe aren't as able to. So, Josh Downs, he's my number five guy. I, I think after him, there's a pretty steep drop off for, for me after those top five guys. But yeah, it, it gets interesting there. Um, certainly, you know, an interesting group at the top where, again, you see it, a lot of guys who project well as, you know, slot guys or just undersized guys that can play on the outside um, and kind of sh- switch between roles. But now that we've talked about our top five receivers in this class, like we said before, they're, you know, it does get interesting after the top of this draft class because, you know, it, it's it's definitely not the deepest group, but that doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, some sleepers in there and some guys you know, who could surprise us later on in the draft. So you say it for you, who's your sleeper wide receiver in this draft class? Yeah, my sleeper is, ironically enough, when I go back and look at mock drafts from August, is a guy that a lot of people thought was going to be a top five receiver in this class, but it's Kayshawn Booty for me from LSU. I mean, you look at the Tigers this year with the whole Brian Kelly fiasco and just year one, 
kind of him coming in. The Tigers took a major step back. Sean didn't necessarily even want to play. But whatever, he was in and out of the lineup. And I look at Sean. I think, you know, production again was down for him this year. But there were times where you still saw him being a dynamic playmaker. I think it's very clear just watching him throughout the season that the run after the catchability as well as just the versatility was really apparent. And then you look at kind of how LSU used him from a lot of motions to shifts to, you know, jet motions as well, jet sweeps too. There was a lot there which really showcased just how quick and dynamic of a playmaker he was. I thought his speed was a plus as well. So when you look at him, I mean, I think he's a well-rounded player being about six feet tall, 190 pounds. There's a lot of potential there that I think was hindered, one, because he was just in and out of the lineup, and number two, simply because LSU, I think, is a program this past season, despite what the record says. Like, they were just not as dynamic as – they've been in years past. So Keishon Booty's a player that I look at and say, if he lands in the right situation in the NFL, like he's never ever going to be a true number one wide receiver, but he can be, you know, a really good one B or even a number two for a team, which I think if you get a player like that of his caliber, that's a really successful draft pick. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, Booty is just a very fascinating player because I, you know, it's hard to tell what happened to him last season, but certainly 2022 is a bit of a nightmare season for him um, at LSU. It sounds like there's a lot of stuff going on off the field. You know, I don't know what the relationship was like with, between him and Brian Kelly there. You know, who knows? There's there's a lot of factors going into it, but and Booty certainly he didn't do himself any favors um, at his workouts for um, the uh, combine, but you watch him actually actually play on the field and there's just, it, it's, it's tough not to say there's a lot, you know, there's a lot to like about Booty on the field. So I, I wonder if it's a play, it's a case where, you know, a lot of things went wrong for him last year and he's just got to go to the right situation because there's a lot of talent there. And certainly we saw that in the year prior to it. Again, like you said, I thought he was certainly be among the top wide receivers in this draft class going into this year. So um, he's th- definitely a name to keep an eye on for later in the draft. Um, as for me, my sleeper in this draft class is Nathaniel Tank Dell out of Houston. Um, again, another one of these really small, tiny wide receivers that probably fits better as a slot player or projects to a slot player in the NFL. But I think Tank Dell has a little bit more of ability to play um, on the outside in the NFL, just because, you know, <laughs> and it's going to sound weird because he's five foot eight, 165 pounds. So, I mean, he is an outlier. If he were to work out in the NFL, he's an outlier among outliers because there aren't too many wide receivers at that size that work that, you know, work out in the NFL. And he didn't run as fast. I said, I think I thought he would He only ran a four, you know, four, four, nine, 40 uh, at the combine. I thought he'd be closer to the four, three range. Um, personally, when I watched him play, um, but you know, the thing with Dell is that he is just a very, very shifty player, um, separates and runs really great routes. And 
that's the thing that's going to work for him. Even though he's a small guy, if you can run great routes and, you know, cornerbacks are not able to get your hands on you because you just are so quick at the line of scrimmage, you're still going to be able to get open and make a lot of plays. And I think it's going to be the case for Dell at the next level. Like you, we saw it work out at the senior bowl. He was just cooking guys all week long. Um, that entire week, just no, no one was able to cover him throughout. And there were some pretty good corners at the senior bowl in mobile this year as well. And just, they did, they had no answers for him. Um, just exceptionally quick. Um, and you can just see it. He, he just runs like a jitterbug out there. Um, not going to make too many contested catches, though. He's not a guy who's going to, you know, be very physical out there. He's not going to certainly not going to be much of a blocker. But you know, you can get the give him the ball, you know, in space, give him opportunities to get yards after the catch. He's very effective there. I think um, he, he's not the best deep threat in the world because again, he doesn't have exceptional speed and he's not the biggest guy in the world. But you know, running, you know routes in the short to intermediate part of the field where he can get quick separation, I think is where he's going to be at his best. And again, I, I wouldn't dismiss the fact that you know, he can, you know, make tough catches because I, I saw this crazy stat the other day. It, it sounds like it, at least on initial um, initial look at this, it, it looked like he had, I saw the stat where he had 23 touchdowns in his college career in the red zone. So I thought, I found that to be very interesting. You know, again, you think a small guy wouldn't be as effective in the red zone, but Again, when if you can separate like he can in the short area of the field, that's very effective in the you know in the red zone area because again, you know, being able to separate is is key everywhere, but especially in the red zone when the when the windows are tighter like that, um, that's very effective skill set to have. So you know, Dell, I'm a little bit higher on him than most. Like I think a lot of, I, I'm not sure where the consensus board has him. I know PFF has him rated pretty highly. Um, but I, I'm seeing a lot of mock drafts out there where he's like an early fourth round guy. Um, I, I personally have like an early third round grade on him. I think, he, you know, again, it's really just the size that's the issue for me. But when you watch him play, like he, he's got the goods, I think. He's got a lot of juice, he's got a lot of quickness. He's got route running ability. Like he's got it all. Um, but now that we talked about our sleepers in this draft class at wider series, say who's your one player that you're kind of, you know, pumping the brakes on a little bit and saying, you know, I know he's valued a little bit higher by others, but I'm just not quite as seeing it. You know, who's that guy for you in this class? Yeah, it for me is Iowa State's very own Xavier Hutchinson. I mean, again, he's a bigger receiver, about six foot three, six foot four, two hundred ten pounds. You look at him. I mean, I understand a lot of people are high on him because again, it's a big bodied frame. He is able to move both inside and outside so he can play you know in the slot when needed but also I look at him and I say like the frame does more for him than his actual football skill set like he uses Xavier Hutchinson will use the frame to kind of go ahead and you know get those 50-50 balls against smaller defensive backs I mean I understand he's got good ball tracking skills but really just there's not much separation ability there and then on top of that when it comes to just being a vertical threat certainly does not have that as well like Xavier Hutchinson to me is probably a fourth or fifth round guy whereas a lot of people are pushing him into like early round three but if I were to give a pro comp for him it would actually be another Iowa State wide receiver who ironically signed with the New York Jets this past offseason which I think Xavier Hutchinson's a carbon copy of what Alan Lazard is. I remember talking about Alan Lazard five to six years ago, and it was kind of the exact same stuff, like bigger guy, you know, uses his frame more than a lot of people are willing to admit. 
long speed, vertical speed, being an explosive, big play threats an issue, but just has enough to kind of warrant being a solid rotational guy, but nothing incredibly significant at the next level for his measurables and skill set. Yeah, for me, my overhyped guy in this class is one of your top five receivers, Jalen Hyatt out of Tennessee. Like, so it's funny because early on in the process, I was actually very high on Hyatt, and I was, you know, because, you know, guys, his level of speed, I'm, you know, very exciting to have in the NFL, especially when I was scouting for guys that would fit for Justin Fields, like Hyatt immediately stood out as a guy. When I started putting him as like the top, his number one wide receiver in this class is like a bona fide first round. I just, I, the more I dug into it, the less I liked that take and the less I saw it with Hyatt. First of all, he didn't run as fast of a 40 yard dash as I thought he was. He, as I thought he would, he ran a four, four forty at the combine. And when your calling card is your speed and the fact that you're an outlier, you know, speed wise is a deep threat. I think you gotta be close to that four, you know, high four, three, low four, three uh, range, even pushing to the four twos, um, especially for a guy like Hyatt, because there isn't really much else that he brings to the table. So if you're going to be, you know, a speedster, a deep threat specialist, like you got to have like elite, elite speed. And, you know, that was a little bit disappointing for me. And then you just look at the nature of Tennessee's offense. It's a fake offense. You know, they don't run anything, any, everything that, that, Jalen Hyatt did in Tennessee in college does not apply to the NFL. He's not going to be doing anything that he did in college at the NFL level, because literally it's the weirdest thing at Tennessee. Like they do this wide split offense that they you don't see NFL teams run because they don't have the hashes the same as they do in college where he's basically in the slot. And basically all he does is run slot go balls the entire time. They spread out everything in Tennessee to where it just creates a lot of speed uh, space for him. So he can just literally just use his speed to run away from guys, um, which works the college level, but it's it's tough to project that to the NFL. And certainly I think he has the ability to be a quality deep threat at the NFL level. But to say that, you know, that's going to immediately translate, I'm, I'm pushing back on a little bit because, you know, I can definitely see his role, but I, I, saw, I saw a lot of people and I was, I kind of got caught up in this a little bit early on, but uh, I saw a lot of Deshaun Jackson comparisons to him. Um, earlier on in the process, you know, Deshaun Jackson was an elite, elite athlete in terms of he could also, he was also very effective after the catch. And he's a very good punt returner coming out of college. Like he had a lot of other skill sets that he brought to the table um, that Jalen Hyde doesn't necessarily have. Like he's not a great route runner. He's not really great after the catch. Um, and again, that just, it's a fake offense in Tennessee. Like it's just really tough to evaluate. So that was kind of my, my thing with Jalen Hyatt. I, I, I see him as more of like a late second round, early third round type of guy. I think he'd be a great value there, but I, I, I'm pushing the brakes on, you know, whether he's a first round guy, I, I don't see him as that type of a talent. If a team were to take him there, I, I would think that'd be a bit of a reach in, in my opinion, but Enough about the wide receivers here because we talked about these guys quite a bit. Let's move on to the tight end class because as opposed to the wide receiver class, which I think is a little bit of a weaker class this year, this tight end class is really strong. It's one of the stronger groups in the in the uh, draft this year. And we have to start with our top five guys at their position. You said 
Um, I think there's a pretty clear top five here for most people. So I'm curious to see if you have the same five that I'm thinking about, you said, but who's your top five uh, tight ends for this year's class? Well, number one and number two are two guys that I think are dynamic playmakers. I mean, Michael Mayer from Notre Dame is in a class of his own. He's been probably, I want to say, the best tight end prospect to declare since Kyle Pitts about two to three years ago. But Michael Mayer, I mean, you look at him and the guy is... 6'4", about 250-something pounds. You know, he's just physical. He's a great route runner. He's a dynamic playmaker who can basically stretch defenses down the middle of the field. He's not like current Bears tight end Cole Komet. And for, again, Cole Komet was also a Notre Dame guy in the sense that he's only going to run down the seam. Like, Michael Mayer is that good in the sense that he's probably the best Notre Dame prospect or best Notre Dame tight end prospect to declare within the last like 10 to 15 years, because he, this guy can play literally all over the place. And, you know, he can run pretty much any type of route and just the quickness. I mean, my goodness, his ability to do it and just play football at the level, which he plays at is quite frankly, dynamic. Like there's times you look at it and you say, okay, this guy moves like a speedy wide receiver at times. And that's how much of a believer I am in Michael Mayer. You look at number two, a guy who, again, Never really had a lot of production over a three-year period at Georgia, but has got ascending playmaker written all over him. I mean, I love Darnell Washington of the Georgia Bulldogs. You look at him, I mean, he's six foot seven, you know, massive, massive frame. The thing with him is this, it's just his size and his physicality stick out above all else. But then again, there are some concerns with Darnell Washington. You wonder if the size and physicality kind of are going to limit him to just being strictly a blocking tight end in college, or can he continue to go ahead and grow as a receiver just in the sense that he does become a great playmaker. And I will say this with Arnold Washington, like he's going to be a guy who's going to be, I think a wide tight end at the next level. So he should see some, you know, reps in the passing game, but like ultimately I think the potential there is good enough for him to be a pretty good, you know, dynamic, well-rounded tight end. And number three is a guy that I thought really blew up at the Utah pro day. Someone that a lot of people seemingly are lower on now. Again, it's the PAC 12. I mean, PAC 12 is whatever it is, but Dalton Kincaid from Utah, I think is incredibly productive. He's got some Great athleticism to his frame, a really great catcher as well, and then just a phenomenal route runner with really solid ball skills. I think that when you look at Dalton Kincaid, the upside is there because he's a pretty good route runner too. So what you're basically getting is a player who, again, kind of went to somewhat of a smaller program compared to a player like a Sam Laporta who I'll get to in a moment or two or a Michael Mayer or Darnell Washington but really just his rise is gonna be fun to watch if I had to put kind of a pro comp on a player like Dalton Kincaid I would probably go ahead and say Kyle Rudolph who was productive for so many years with the Vikings and number four is Luke Musgrave from Oregon State I mean he's a guy that you know, you look at, and I think he's just going to end up being versatile, but also an athletic, um, you know, monster when it comes to getting onto the field. I mean, he can play in the slot too, and he's a pretty solid route runner. So there's going to be opportunities for him along with his speed to kind of just eat up, 
you know, defensive backs down the seam. And the number five is a guy that is one of my personal favorites in this class. It's Sam Laporta from Iowa. Again, I think when you look at Sam, right, first things first, we have to understand, like, his blocking skills are among the best in this class, right, just in terms of how he blocks compared to some of these other tight ends. But the thing is, right, is that he's – production right his production I think increased year after year at Iowa and then he was kind of the big body target right he's a good route runner he's not necessarily great and he doesn't have that dynamic breakaway speed but Sam Laporta is a guy that you look at right and you say okay you know what if he can just learn to be a tad bit more physical there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for growth there for him to develop into a guy that can be a pretty solid tight and at the next level. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Yeah, we had the same top five, but I have them in a bit of a different order. So um, my first tier are two tight ends here at the top for me, guys that I'm comfortable taking late in the first round, but I think are probably better values early in the second round just because, you know, tight ends, it's kind of on the lower echelon of positional value in the NFL. But I mean, that's without saying there, I don't, I don't want to get too much in the weeds of that, but the top two tight ends for me are Dalton Kincaid as my first tight end and Michael Mayer as my number two tight end. And I'll get my reasons why I have Dalton Kincaid really quick as my number one tight end as opposed to Michael Mayer. I think Mayer is the more, you know, better all around tight end, you know, certainly a better blocker, um, you know, reliable as a pass catcher, runs good routes, you know, very solid hands. You know, he's the full package, you know, not a dynamic athlete by any means but he's not a bad athlete um either um but again just very solid he, he does everything very well for a tight end but Kincaid I think man I, I watched him play last year at Utah and he is a special weapon in the passing game as a receiver like his ability to run routes um he runs routes like a receiver he has the natural hands like a receiver um and like he's just he he can be a true like focal point of a passing game. I think if he reaches his ceiling, um, which is very possible, like he could, I, I'm not going to say he's going to be like Travis Kelsey, but maybe he could be like a Zach Ertz for like the Eagles for such a long time where he was kind of the engine of that passing game in Philadelphia for such a long time. And, and, you know, if you remember about Ertz, like not a very good blocker whatsoever, but he's such a good receiver that you really don't care. And that's the thing. That's the thing for Kincaid here. Like he doesn't have the size profile to be a good blocker. Like he competes his ass off as a blocker. It's not that he doesn't want to block. He just doesn't have the physic physical ability, like or size to kind of do that. But you're not drafting him to block. You're drafting him to be a weapon in the passing game, and that's what he is. Like just very natural hands, um, very good concentration, can make contested catches, can separate, runs good routes. He gets yards after the catch. Like he's the full package as receiver. And that's why he's my number one tight end. Like, I just think there's more upside and more value there. Whereas mayor, I think he's going to be a solid receiver, but his value is more of that, 
you know, he's a tra- traditional tight end in the sense that he can block very well in the run game. He can pass for a little bit and he's very solid, but he's not dynamic in the receiving game. He's not like a true difference maker, in my opinion, in the passing game. He's more of like a complimentary guy in the passing game to whereas, again, I think Kincaid could be a true difference maker there. Um, but after those two guys, my number three tight end is Sam Laporta out of Iowa. Kind of similar to Kincaid, I think he's a guy who can be a difference maker as a weapon in the passing game. I have a second-round grade on him, and what's kind of his – you know, standout skill set is his, his ability to get yards after the catch. Like PFF had him down with 20 broken tackles last year alone. Um, after the catch, like this guy is, he, he's quick. Um, and when he gets the ball, he's very tough to bring down. He can juke guys out and he can break tackles with strength. So he's a guy that um, is just a weapon there. You know, you give the ball in space, you give the ball underneath, you know, it's very – I wouldn't say he's like George Kittle. I, I, I hate to compare these guys to the best in the game the position, but just for a stylistic component, because both guys are from Iowa, um, you know, very similar to, in the fact that you get in the ball in those short crossing routes, and he can, he's just very dangerous. You know, he has breakaway speed. He has ability to make guys miss. He has break tackle ability. Like, he is just a very fun player to watch, a very exciting player to watch once he gets the ball in his hand. He's a good – you know, receiver in terms of running routes, you know, Iowa actually used him as like a true wide receiver at times, but he's a smaller guy, not a great blocker. So that's kind of, it's going to, that's kind of going to bring him down for, I think some teams and some systems. And then, you know, after Laporta, number four, I don't know. Washington is kind of the opposite in, in the sense that he is basically like an offensive tackle playing tight end. Like he's um, this massive, massive dude blocks his ass off really good in the run game actually a pretty solid pass protector as a tight end as well. So he can kind of be an extension of an offensive line there too. Um, and he is a very physically imposing player when he gets the ball after the catch as well. The thing with Darnell Washington, that kind of like, and I'll get this to him in a little bit, but kind of question me is that he is not like this. Like, I know he's a you know great athlete on paper um, when you look at the testing numbers and stuff, but he doesn't really play like this, like, elite athlete in terms of the sense of that, you know, he's kind of a stiff route runner. He doesn't really have great change of directions skills. It takes him a little bit of time to kind of get moving to top speed. Like the size definitely does have some drawbacks there. So while he is this explosive athlete, um, you know, in a t-shirt and shorts on the football field, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't really stand out from a route running perspective. Um, but my number five guy, um, Luke Musgrave, um, the selling point for him is that his straight line speed is maybe the best in this draft class for tight ends. Um, can run the seam really well. The thing with Musgrave is that you know he just didn't have a ton of, you know, not much of a sample size in college. Like he got injured this past year. Um, just not a lot of tape on him really. You're just kind of, you're you're basically projecting him on his potential and what his athleticism profile is. And he's a great athlete. Again, extremely fast. Um, but he's not much of a blocker. I'm not sure if he runs great routes yet. It's more of like he's got great physical ability. He's flashed at at the college level. It, can he put it all together in the NFL is kind of the question there. But he is a very intriguing prospect as well. So we talk about our top five guys in this class. You say, who is one player in this class for tight ends that's a sleeper for you? And who's one overhyped player for you in this tight end class? 
Yeah, so real quick, you know, sleeper for me is Braden Willis from Oklahoma, a guy that I look at and I say, you know, there's a lot of versatility there. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of where he fits into the next level, just because when you go back and you watch the tape, his time with the Sooners kind of saw him being involved in the passing game as well as the run blocking game. But then there were times where, you know, he was highly involved on special teams as well. So when you look at him, I mean, Braden Willis is a guy that a solid blocker overall, pretty good pass catcher. But then again, you know, with the way that the game's moving at the next level, you honestly have to wonder, is he going to be a guy where, you know, his role could just be a special teamer, but the upside potential is there. For me, the overhyped guy in this class is Leonard Taylor from Cincinnati. I mean, you look at him, right? And I think he's kind of your typical tight end in the sense that, like, pretty decent hands, you know, pretty good ball skills and, you know, good enough athleticism to be a solid kind of tight end two or three at the next level. But the thing with him is this, right? He's a big playability and just inability to be a good route runner. And the inability to make a play with the ball in his hands, such as run after the catch, right? That's really something that I look at and I'm like, okay, you know what? That's something that is going to really work against him at the next level. And again, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to kind of refine his route running and big playability either. Yeah, for me, I'll start with my overhyped prospects. I already, I already talked with about them, but Luke Musgrave and Darnell Washington, they're overhyped in the standpoint for me in, in that like, I'm seeing some buzz to them as first-round prospects. I I don't buy that. I think they are, you know, fully day-two prospects. Like, Darnell Washington especially gets a lot of hype as a first-round talent, and I'm not there with him. I, I don't think he has the ability as a receiver to be a guy you want to pick in the first round. Again, like I said, he's a little bit stiff as a route runner. He, he doesn't change direction easily. Like, he's he's limited, I think, in terms of what he can do in the passing game. And some of that was the role that he played at Georgia, but again, you know, Georgia, they ran an offense that did feature tight ends in the passing game. And he wasn't somebody that really stood out there. It, it's really about potential with Darnell Washington and what he could be as a, as a pass catcher, but not necessarily what he's done so far. So um, and that's really my only question with him. So that's why I kind of have him as my overhype him and Musgrave and Musgrave is basically just like, we just haven't seen enough of him, but he is very talented. So you know, that's just kind of thing for me there with those guys. For my sleeper, I have Zach Kuntz out of uh, Old Dominion, a guy who has creeped up the radar in recent weeks because he just had a freak show of a workout at the NFL Combine. Um, literally had a uh, the best workout a tight end has ever had at the Combine. Like, ridiculous. I'm going to pull up some of his numbers here because it's ridiculous what this guy – did here um let's see here oh we look at that comes here out of uh old dominion okay ran at six foot seven 255 pounds ran a four five forty 40 inch vertical jump 6.87 three cone drill 4.12 second 20 yard shuttle like those are all elite numbers so I'm like, just from a athletic standpoint, I'm taking a chance on this guy on day three, just saying like, he's an elite athlete. We'll figure it out. But also like he did, you, I go back and watch him a little bit. Like he does have some abilities receiver to be that. I think he doesn't get enough credit as like actually being a pretty 
decent football player at this point. Like he's not a blocker. He's, you know, small school guy needs polish, but I don't know. I, I, on day three, he's the type of guy where I'd say like in the fourth round, Hey, he's got elite traits. Let's take a chance on him and see what happens because those are type of guys you want to bet on. So um, we're getting late on time here. You said, so to wrap things up, um, let's talk about the general strategy for the bears real quick for dressing wide receiver and tight end. Obviously we know that, you know, they have some guys in this roster here after making the trade for DJ Moore. You have the receiving core of DJ Moore, Darnell Mooney, Chase Claypool. They drafted Fields Jones last year. Um, tight end, you have Gold Komet there going to the final year of his contract. So for you, said when you're looking at the draft here, you know, no, like it doesn't sound like there's a glaring hole for a wide receiver or a tight end or, or a huge need for them. Um, so when you're looking at this thing for the Bears, what would your strategy be for addressing? a wide receiver and tight end for them this year. Yeah, I would say this year, like I wouldn't be surprised to see the bears make wide receiver a monster basically as a positional group on the roster and add a high draft pick. But then again, you could argue that it's a bit of a luxury pick. And then with tight end, right? Like you're expecting, I think your expectations for that group to you just temper them with Cole Komet as well as Robert Tunney and two solid guys. But then again, you know, it would be nice to see some depth, but I'm not taking a tight end, you know, on day two, I am probably taking a tight end in the fifth or sixth round where, you know, I know it's going to be a guy who's not going to come in and start right away, but more so like a low risk, high reward type depth piece that you can just hope contributes on special teams and then eases his way into the offense over the next year or so. Yeah, I think for me at wide receiver, I think if you can get Jackson Smith and Jibba at nine, like he's probably the guy that I, the only guy I'm considering in the first round there. And, you know, I think there are bigger positional needs for the bears in the first round this year. Like I think, you know, right tackle defensive line, like those are areas that need to be addressed probably. But if they really like Jackson Smith and Jibba at nine, I can't fault them for it. I would go personally in a different direction, but I can understand making that, you know, draft selection there. Otherwise, like if they want to take a chance on a guy in day three, I would be fine with that there. Uh, tight end, um, you know, I wouldn't touch that pick in the first round, maybe not even the second round. But if there's a guy they really like in the third round, I wouldn't be opposed to it because it is a very talented tight end class. You know, this is an offense that does like to run a lot of 12 personnel with two tight ends out there. So I could definitely see if they really like a guy, you know, they have that one-two punch with Cole Komet at that tight end spot would be something that would be very beneficial, I think, for Justin Fields. But like you said, I think also just take a swing on a guy on day three, whether it's a guy like a Zach Koontz who has elite upside or maybe just a guy that can come in and block a little bit and kind of be a role player for you. I, I think either option would be, you know, very acceptable there. So, again, you know, the way that things have been addressed for the Bears recently, it isn't – it's it's weird to say it, but – because of the DJ Moore trade, it feels like this isn't like a desperate need for the Bears. I think they could definitely look to add more weapons because you can never have too many weapons. But yeah, certainly not a desperate need for the Bears in this year's draft. There are other positions that they need to address here, but I would not be opposed to adding more wide receiver and tight end uh, talent here because the more pass catchers for Justin Fields, the better. But with that said, it's going to wrap it up for us here at the Pixar Pool podcast today. Uh, covering these wide receivers and tight ends. It was a lot of fun to kind of talk about these guys and preview them because it's, it certainly is an interesting position groups heading into this year's draft. But um, for all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening for 
today's podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and subscribe on all podcasting platforms for us here at the Bear Report and at Blue Wire Pods. Um, make sure to follow us on social media as well on Twitter at Picks for Polls. You say, working our listeners, follow you on social media and find your work. Yes, yeah, so you guys can follow me on social media at Usaid Kolschel. Check out my work on the Bear Report website. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at HAFreeman25, uh, and you can find me work at the Bear Report as well. We're going to get some scouting reports done um, as we get closer and closer to the NFL draft. Also, keep an eye out for our podcast. We're going to be wrapping up positional previews over the next couple of weeks, and then as we get closer, keep an eye out for our next mock draft um, for this podcast here. So a lot of stuff as we get closer to the NFL draft. It's only a few weeks away, so it's it's really exciting, and we hope that we have more news to share for the NFL draft as we get there. But until next time, Bears fans, bear down and have yourself a great rest of your week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.